You're in control of all events and in every circumstance of our lives. Uh, we're living in a time right now where it seems that a whole lot of things are out of control, but as we read the scriptures, we are reminded that, that nothing is, is out of your area of expertise, and um, it's been said that the devil is in the details, but you're in the details. Um, you, you watch everything. You've numbered the hairs on our head. Uh, you've got your eye on the sparrows. Uh, you are a micromanager, everything that happens in the universe, everything that happens in our lives. And that's, that's good to know because there are times when life feels like it's out of control. It, it, it seems like uh, circumstances and events are, are just randomly happening and there is no direction and there's no purpose. That's why it is good to interact with you and with the scriptures it's good to meditate on what's true. You tell us in your word uh, to be still and to know that you are God. And, and when we take a minute to be quiet and to ponder the fact that you are God and who you are and what that means, it kind of takes the pressure down a notch. Things really aren't spiraling out of control. And when uh, life gets hard and when we fall into the pit, we can call upon you. And when things look hopeless and when it looks like there's no way out and when it looks like there's no way of escape, you make a way of escape. I, I, I just am recalling the guy who told me that just in the last year he lost his family. And he was very broken. And he called out to you, and now he's been restored to his family. Well, that's the kind of thing that you do. And oftentimes when we hit those, those deep pits of life, we think that we can never recover. And we think, that, uh, we think that it's too late. We're thankful, Lord, that with you it is never too late. That there's, there's not a pit that is so deep that your grace and your mercy and your love can't reach down and pick us up and restore our lives and put together the broken pieces. So we thank you for that. We thank you for hope. Now, if you weren't in control, there would be no hope. And if you couldn't move people's hearts and move situations, we'd be in trouble. But that's the kind of God you are. We ask, Lord, uh, for each, each guy here tonight that you'd give us hearts that are teachable. If we don't have uh, teachable hearts, we're wasting our time. We might as well just pick it up and go home right now. So we ask that the Spirit of God would instruct us, he would teach us, give us, uh, give us uh, open hearts and open minds. It's been a long day. Uh, help us to keep, uh, to keep focused. That'd be our prayer tonight. And we offer it to humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know where I got this article. It's from the Wall Street Journal, but I'm not sure. I just came across it in a pile on my desk. Some guys have file systems. 
I have pile systems. This, uh, this was a significant article. It, um, it's an article about hamburgers. And uh, specifically, it's remembering Esther Snyder, who you probably never heard of. Uh, I'll give you a couple shots uh, from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and Esther Snyder, by the way, died in August of this year. Um, if you're from California, you might know who she is. Because along with her husband, Harry, um, they started a hamburger stand called In-N-Out Burger. And uh, some of you now are saying yes. Thank you, Lord, for her ministry in, in my life. <laughs> yes. A couple paragraphs. The Snyders founded In-N-Out in 1948 in Baldwin Park, California. That was the same year the McDonald brothers opened their first limited menu fast food restaurant in San Bernardino, just 43 miles away. Though the two chains' trajectories could hardly differ more since then. McDonald's now has 31,866 outlets around the world. They're opening one in the lobby in, uh, in January, actually. <laughs> in and out has 202 restaurants in California, Arizona, and Nevada. Uh, if, if you've never been to an in and out burger place, this is kind of foreign to you. But if you have, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> see, I'm telling you. And by the way, these people were Christians. And you go to In-N-Out Burger, and every cup of Coke that they sell, you drink that sucker, you turn it over on the bottom, and you'll see John 3.16 printed on every cup they've ever sold in their history. Interesting story. Uh, in talking about In-N-Out Burger, and I find it fascinating, the same year, McDonald's starts, In-N-Out Burger starts 43 miles apart. Adherence to basics has marked in and out their history. Harry Snyder, who was a racing enthusiast, saw the car culture coming in the late 1940s, and he designed one of California's first drive through restaurants. He created an early version of the squawk box for ordering, thus avoiding the need for car hops. The menu features, uh, the menu features just a few items, burgers, fries, sodas, and milkshakes, and has remained virtually unchanged over the decades. What's interesting is that when In-N-Out Burger started, you could get a burger, you could get a cheeseburger, you could get fries, you could get a Coke, some other soft drink, you could get a milkshake, and that's it. With the death of Mrs. Snyder on August 4th at the age of 86, some industry watchers wonder whether the 202 restaurant chain will begin to step up the pace of expansion. Now, i got to tell you something about In-N-Out Burger. If you've been, they're just really, they're just absolutely the best. When my brother Mike first moved to Texas in 19, I think it was 82, Mike realized that there were no In-N-Out Burgers in, in Dallas. And in all seriousness, he made an inquiry to the headquarters of In-N-Out Burger to see what it would take to get a franchise in Dallas. And your brother did too. Yeah. Uh, I've talked to other guys who've done this. And the reason is, it's such a great place. Um, it, it's, just, it's just incredible. But they, they're only in three states. 
California, uh, Arizona, and Nevada. That's it. Because they're, 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 it's a philosophy. It's very, very slow growth. And now that Mr. Snyder has died, now his wife, there's actually a kind of an internal fight going on. But I want to point something out to you. In and out Burger, there's a big difference between In-N-Out Burger and McDonald's. Now, when they started, they were exactly the same because they had the same menu, burger or cheeseburger, fries, soft drink, or milkshake. McDonald's and In-N-Out Burger. But there's a difference today because, you see, In-N-Out Burger doesn't change the menu. McDonald's changes the menu every two weeks. Uh, the last time, and this is a direct quote from the Wall Street Journal, the last time In-N-Out Burger changed the menu was 10 years ago when they made a decision to add Dr. Pepper to its list of soft drinks. <laughs> and that basically took a church council in Jerusalem to pull that off. But they understood that Dr. Pepper was an evangelical believer and, and, and it would be okay. Now, why in the world am I talking about In-N-Out Burger and McDonald's and all that? I'm talking about it for this reason. Uh, we're doing a study called Snapshots of Stupid. And basically, in our study, we're looking at guys in the Scripture who have done some really stupid things. And we look at them with uh, a lot of compassion because we've all done really stupid things. As we saw last week, there are two kinds of stupid. There's permanent stupid. You're just going to be stupid for the rest of your life. And the reason you're going to be stupid for the rest of your life is that you're hard-hearted and you're not teachable. And nobody can tell you anything. That was the guy we looked at last week, Nabal, if you were here. And if you remember, David came to Nabal, and David's men had protected all of his uh, livestock from the Philistine marauders, and he asked him at a certain time, hey, could you help me replenish my men and the supplies? And Nabal wouldn't do it. Uh, and when he heard that Nabal wouldn't do it, David went stupid and decided, all right, strap on the swords, we're going to go kill this guy and all his men. It was a little bit of an overreaction. Um, but when Nabal's wife, Abigail, stepped in and had her men go ahead with provisions for David and his men, and then when she showed up, and if you were here, she talked to David, and she reasoned with David. And you know what David did? David listened. David was not permanent stupid. Uh, David was teachable stupid. And We've all done stupid things. But what we want to do as we go through life is that we want to be teachable stupid. And that's why we look into the Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, speaking of the Old Testament, says, these things were written for our instruction as examples to us. Uh, we've all done stupid things. We all have done things we regret and wish we had never have done, but we've done them. Um, but we want to grow, and we want to mature, and we want to become better men. Our umbrella verse for this uh, fall study has been 1 Timothy 4.16. And in 1 Timothy 4.16, uh, Paul is coaching this young pastor, Timothy. And basically what he says is, Timothy, uh, among a lot of things that he says, but in 1 Timothy 4.16, what he says to Timothy is, Timothy, you need to pay close attention to your life, 
and to your doctrine. Some translations say you need to watch closely over yourself and your teaching. So the instruction from Paul to this uh, young leader is, is twofold. Watch your life carefully. Don't be stupid. When, when he says watch your life, what he means is it, it would include your whole life. So watch what you think. Pay close attention to what you put into your mind. Um, as a man thinks, so is he. Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. Uh, so when he says watch over your life, uh, your behavior comes out of your heart. And what you put into your mind has an impact on how you're going to behave. So when he says watch over your life, you got to watch what you put into your life, what you put into your mind, what you allow yourself to see, who you allow yourself to hang out with, bad company, corrupts, good morals. When you don't watch over your life, you're hanging out with the wrong kind of people. And a lot of us, we look back over our lives, and the stupidest thing we ever, the stupidest things we've ever done were the direct result of hanging out with a bunch of losers. And, and a lot of us have had to learn the hard way about that. Bad company screws up good morals. And if you've been through that, you've worked real hard to teach your kids. You see, that principle. Because it saves you a lot of grief. So we watch over our lives. We watch over our minds. We watch over our thought life. We watch over who we hang out with. We, we watch those things. We pay close attention. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, pay close attention not only to your life, but to, but to your doctrine, to, to what you believe. That's critical. Now, I want to submit something to you tonight as we um, jump into this. I, I, I want to throw this premise out to you. My premise is, is that the evangelical church, and you know when we say the evangelical church, what does that mean? Well, evangelical comes from eongelion, uh, which is good news. Chuck spent a lot of time on Sunday talking about the gospel. The gospel the gospel's the good news. That's the Eongelion. We're e evangelicals, evangelicals, you see. We're evangelicals. We believe in the good news. What is the good news? The good news is about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. And that although he existed as God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to. So he laid aside his privileges. Jesus is fully and completely God, is fully and completely God. But at a certain point in history, uh, he became man, completely God, completely man, was born of a virgin. That's astonishing. Now, you know, evangelicals have disagreements on certain points of doctrine, you know, but if you believe in the Trinity, if you believe that uh, Jesus was born of a virgin, if you believe that this book is uh, the inspired and errant word of God, 
If you believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, if you believe that Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins and for the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2, 2 says, if you believe that he was buried and then on the third day he rose literally, bodily, from the dead, appeared to over 500 at one time, uh, if you believe that he ascended to the Father and now he's at the right hand of the Father and he lives forever to make intercession for the saints, if you believe that, if you believe that one day he's coming back, you're an evangelical. You believe the good news. Now, Christians will have different views on when he's coming back. Some think he's coming back before the tribulation. Some think he's coming back in the middle of the tribulation. Some think he's coming back uh, you know, after the tribulation. If you want to be wrong on that, that's up to you. Uh, most of us in here know exactly what's right. The guy sitting next to you is all screwed up. Now, I'm horsing around. See, we have different opinions. Good people, good believers, well, we'll debate this and this. But on the essentials, there's no disagreement. You see? On the fundamentals of the faith. There's a man named Lyman Stewart. He owned the 76 Union Oil Company in California in the 1920s. And when liberalism was just going crazy in the early part, about 100 years ago, um, he financed, with all of his money, he financed a group of scholars to get together and write a, a set of books called The Fundamentals, based on the fundamentals of the faith. And that's where the whole term fundamentalism came from. Now, some fundamentalists got off on certain things, and they got a little weird and said, if you roller skate, you can't be a Christian. And, you know, if you wear makeup, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? We've all seen that weird stuff, that legalism stuff. We're not talking about it. We're talking about the fundamentals of the faith. Um, see, it's doctrine. What we believe about that is important. So what did Paul say? Pay close attention. Not only to how you live, but pay close attention to to what you believe. Now, here's what's going on in the evangelical church today. The evangelical church and evangelical believers, you got to decide, are you an in-and-out believer or are you a McDonald's believer? And when I say that, here's what I mean. If you're an in-and-out believer, you stick to the menu. If you're an in-and-out believer, you stick with the original menu. 40 years ago, 60 years ago, it was burgers, cheeseburgers, fries, Coca-Cola. Dr. Pepper got grandfathered in. And milkshakes. Now, you go to McDonald's. McDonald's, you can get pancakes. You can get scrambled eggs at McDonald's. You can get a bagel at McDonald's. You can get a tofu burger at McDonald's. You can get a McRib at McDonald's. You can get an ice cream sundae at McDonald's. You can get a Caesar salad at McDonald's. Why? Because McDonald's is always changing the menu. When it comes to spiritual food and spiritual beliefs, a lot of evangelicals and a lot of churches today are changing up the menu. That's a fact of the matter. I got to get up here because I got stuff to read. Hope I didn't lose it in traffic. 
Here it is. Um, uh, Gene Edward Veith in World Magazine. How many of you guys read World Magazine? See your hands. Okay, we got to get you on World Magazine. Go to, uh, what is it, worldmagazine.com? I don't know. Look it up on Google. It's a great magazine written by believers. It's the fourth largest news magazine in the country right now. It's worth reading. I've been reading it for a long, long time. And uh, if those of you who read it, they'll tell you it's just outstanding. Gene Edward Veith is a columnist in um, World Magazine, and he recently commented on an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, written by uh, Dave Shiflett. Let me give you a couple of quotes from this, because it relates to the kind of Christian that you are and the kind of church that you're a part of. Um, Veith writes this, secularist, Secularist is someone who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in spiritual things, absolute truths. You know, your typical, um, your typical liberal in America today, quite frankly. Secularists, liberals, and Muslims do not need to fear conservative Christians, says Dave Shiflett in the Wall Street Journal. Christians, he says, are not all that interested in converting the heathen. They don't really believe that there is such a thing as the heathen. Tending to believe instead that every religion is equally valid. You say, wait a minute, that can't be. Ah, it can be. He cites poll data from Christian researcher George Barna that 26% of born-again believers believe that all religions are essentially the same. Now, this Barna guy, this George Barna guy, he's an interesting dude. can't believe I said dude, but I did. Where did that come from? I'm just thinking who I interacted with today where I would have said, dude, I don't, I don't usually say that. I kind of shocked myself there. It wasn't less. It, uh, it was, no, less doesn't say dude. West Coast offense. No, no, you guys are getting me off. Um, what Barna has done, Barna has done a lot of extensive polling on Christians, and he breaks Christians up into... Uh, and I may not get his terms exactly right, but he has what he calls uh, uh, orthodox evangelicals. And an orthodox evangelical believes the gospel, and they believe the Bible, and they believe what's in the Bible. They make up about 7% of the American population. Now, you've heard that, oh, evangelicals are you know, 40%, 50%. Not really. Because you see, a whole bunch of those evangelicals, about 35% of them, are what he calls, how does he term that? I don't have it down here. Uh, I, 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 here's how he, this would be the equivalent. He, in, he would uh, term these people basically non-Orthodox born-again believers. Basically, they believe, they've asked Jesus to come into their life and to forgive them of their sins, but they have significant problems with doctrines that are taught in the Word of God. Therefore, 26% of those who claim to be born again believe that all religions are essentially the same. Hmm. I have a neighbor. I'll see him every few months. I was out walking the other night. I saw him, and he was just getting out of his car. Hey, how you doing, you know? And uh, I know where where he's gone to church. He's asked me about churches in the area, and I referred him, and... um, told me about some things that had happened in his life. I didn't realize he'd just been through some difficult stuff. And was asking me about uh, 
any churches around in our area that have good Sunday schools because he wants to get his son into a Sunday school. And uh, son's going to a high-priced private school, but he's concerned because he's being taught that basically, uh, well, you know, he's getting the, the normal stuff. But he says, I want him to, you know, understand the Christian perspective and get, you know, the Bible stories. And I said, well, that's good. And uh, I, I told him about a particular church not too far away. Perch had has a pretty good program for kids that age. And uh, I said they'll teach him the scriptures, and he'll find out that uh, he'll find out that Jesus is the only way, and that Christianity is superior. He said, "Well, I'm not sure I'd go that far." <laughs> I said, "Oh yeah, you need to go that far." <laughs> he goes, "Well, that's uh, I'm, and I, and I've had numerous conversations with this guy, so I." I this wasn't the first time we'd ever talked. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, Christianity is superior. And, you know, this whole multiculturalism thing. I mean, when you look at the roots of that, at first, you know, everyone's, oh, yeah, multiculturalism. Oh, well, you've got, you got, really, you got to think now. Because, you know, words don't always mean what they say they mean. You know that, don't you? Planned Parenthood? Give me a break. <laughs> Here's how to plan to murder a baby. Why don't you just come out and say it? They'll never do it. They're liars. I'm feeling better now. (laughs) Let's see. Where were we? Planned Parenthood. Multiculturalism. So multiculturalism basically swept in roughly in the 70s, the American universities. Basically, multiculturalism, see, instead of teaching Western civilization... I mean, you guys remember taking a course in Western Civ. See, the problem with Western civilization, and you got a big problem with that because basically Christianity is all over Western civilization. So you got to bring in these other cultural things, these other cultures. Well, the problem with other cultures, other cultures, their cultures, why do you have a culture? Because you believe certain things. So, you, okay, you bring in Hinduism uh, from, from India. So for thousands of years in India... If you saw uh, on CNN when Rajiv Gandhi was assassinated, uh, they had the traditional Hindu funeral, and they made a wooden barge, and they put his body on it, covered it with flowers and kindling wood, and they said the right words, and then they lit it. Well, it's been that way in India for thousands of years, with one exception. Before Christianity came to India through the apostle Thomas, man would die, make the wooden barge, put it on the banks of the Ganges River, kindling, flowers, say the appropriate words. But you see, before Christianity came to India, here's what they'd do. They'd light the barge, but before they lit the barge, they'd put his living wife on the barge. And the man would be cremated and his wife would be burned alive. That's multiculturalism. Christianity says that's wrong. Not all cultures are equal because not all beliefs and not all doctrines are equal, you see. And this guy said, well, I wouldn't go that far, that Christianity is superior. He said, it's not only superior, it's the only way to God. He said, that's what Jesus said, you know. Jesus said, I am a way, and I am a truth, and one of many ways to get to the mountain. That's not what he said. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the way, 
which means all the other ways and all the other truth are wrong. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But 26% of born again say it's all essentially the same. No, you're wrong. And the question is, do you know Christ and do you believe the gospel? Do you believe what Jesus said? It's possible you have duped yourself into thinking you're born again and you're not born again at all because you don't believe that he is unique. If it's all the same, he didn't need to go to the cross, did he? So you, you have just trampled on the atonement of Christ. See, doctrine is important, isn't it? Yes, it is. So those of us who go to Stonebriar Community Church should be very grateful that we have a pastor who's about ready to take about 27 years going through Romans. <laughs> Just based on how far he's gotten in two weeks. I'm, I'm kind of speculating. But you know what? That's a really good thing, isn't it? Because doctrine matters. And what the word of God says is important. It might take Chuck, I don't know, a year. It might take three. Who knows? It doesn't matter how long it takes. The point is, what we believe is critical. Because we don't want anybody in this auditorium walking out of here thinking, oh yeah, oh yeah, there are many ways. Because if you believe that, you're going to hell. There's one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus. Uh, Barna goes on and says that uh, 50% of born-agains believe that a life of good works will enable a person to get to heaven. Where are these people going to church? Is what I want to know. Well, that's where they're going, where they suppress the truth because they don't want to offend anybody. Because they want everyone to come back. Unlike what we do here on Wednesday night. <laughs> we don't give a rip if you come back or not. But we're going to tell you the truth about Jesus and about the Word of God. That's really what we're going to attempt to do. Now, if you don't like it, you don't like it. If you want to criticize us, criticize us that we're not teaching the Word of God. We'll listen to that. But if you hear the Word of God and you don't like it, that's your problem. And quite frankly, you're stupid if you don't listen to it. And you're proud and you're self-centered and you're blind and you need to ask Christ to come into your life and open your eyes and to change your life. It's the best I can tell you, man. And we were all in that category. And he was good and merciful and kind to us, wasn't he? You see? Good works isn't going to cut it. You can't give enough to the Red Cross. You can't put enough Katrina victims in your attic. You can't do it to earn salvation. You ought to help them out. That's great. It's not going to earn your way to God. He goes on. I'm still in this article. I am feeling better, I, I have to say. I, I'm, I'm feeling better. He goes on, though, to cite da data that cast doubt on whether some of these born-again Christians will actually be there. Beware. In heaven. More than one in three, for you guys that played football without a helmet, that's about, that's about 35%. More than one in three, now catch this, born-again Christians do not believe that Jesus rose physically from the dead. Now, we got a problem here. 
we got a big problem here. And our problem would be from the Word of God. Because in this book, there's a book called Romans, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And you're familiar with that. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the what? Dead. Dead. You will be, anybody know? Saved. So if you don't believe that he physically, bodily rose from the dead on the third day, you are not a Christian. So I believe in Jesus. Well, pin a rose on your nose. <laughs> so tell me what you believe. Well, I just believe he was a, a great Zen master. You need to quit smoking that stuff, man. That's not going to cut it. Well, I believe... If you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you're not a Christian. Maybe somebody told you you were but you've gotten bad information. There, there are sin, there, if you don't believe he's the son of God, you guys see what I'm saying. Do you see why Paul would say to Timothy, watch over your life and your doctrine closely? We got all these people that are duped. Now, this is not new, by the way. Here's where we're going tonight. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to show you a guy in Scripture who did not watch his doctrine. He's only mentioned two times in the Bible. His name is Hymenaeus, and we find him referred to in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And it, there's, just a, there's just an obscure reference made to this guy in 1 Timothy 1. We'll pick up with verse 18. And Paul is talking to Timothy, as you know. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, uh, that by them you may fight the good fight. Timothy, here's the context. Timothy was a young leader, a young pastor. He's really in a tough situation, and he's not naturally a, uh, an aggressive guy. He, he, he's more of a peacemaker. He likes everyone to get along, and that's always a good thing. But sometimes in churches, not everyone's going to get along because there are some people that are just divisive and difficult, and there are some that are trying to come in and teach wrong doctrine. And, and so Paul is trying to encourage Timothy, hey, man, you've got to fight the good fight. And he reminds him of some prophecies that were made concerning about it. We don't know what those prophecies were. Paul knew. Timothy knew. He reminds him of the prophecies to encourage him and to pump him up, that he'll fight the good fight. And then he says this, keeping faith and a good conscience. So that's how you fight the good fight, is by keeping faith and a good conscience. Now, I'll do this real quick. Keeping faith, you say, what's that all about? Well, faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. So you see, faith is always tied up to the word of God. Faith is always tied up to doctrine, Romans tells us. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. The amazing thing is, Someone can come in and hear any part of the Bible being taught and come to faith because it's all the word of Christ. Some of you guys, your, your Bibles, one of the features is, is that the word of Christ, the words of Christ are in red. Well, if they were consistent, then every word in your Bible ought to be read because this whole thing is the word of Christ. 
This whole thing is, are the words of Jesus. Keeping faith. In other words, that correlates with pay close attention to your doctrine. And then he says, and a good conscience. That correlates with pay close attention to your, to your life, doesn't it? You see how that works? So you fight the good fight by keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. How many guys in here want to shipwreck your faith? I'm going to tell you something. This Wall Street Journal, you know what that's telling me? Those statistics? There are people that have shipwrecked their faith because they believe wrong things and they don't have faith in the first place. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they will be taught not to blaspheme. That's interesting. They're blaspheming. So what's that all about? We'll flip over to 2 Timothy, and we'll see what was really going on here. We'll, we'll get a little bit more information. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. You guys all feeling good about yourselves here tonight? Your self-esteem okay? I'm just really concerned about that for you tonight. I don't give a rip about that. Let's just go to second. I'm kind of fooling around. But you know what I'm saying? You ever get tired of this nonsense? See, we want everybody to come to church and really feel good. You know, when I come to church, I don't, I, sometimes I don't need to feel good. Sometimes I need to feel convicted. Because I've been a real jerk that week at home to live with. I don't need to feel good about myself. I need to feel pretty dang lousy about myself because I'm out of the will of God. Does that make sense? I don't need my self-esteem to be high when I'm an idiot at home. And you don't either. What I need is the Lord to love me enough to convict me. So before I do 2 Timothy 2, flip over to 2 Timothy 3. Well, it's probably just across the page. Look at verse 16. All Scripture. Uh, that's not right. Most Scripture. I'm sorry, I was a little too exclusive there. No. All Scripture. All Scripture. I was talking to a young man uh, this afternoon about seminaries, and he's asking me about this seminary and this seminary and this seminary. He said, what about Fuller Seminary? I said, ah, Fuller, that used to be a great seminary. It's not anymore. Sorry. Man, when it started, it was right at the top. And they had some great men there. But it didn't take them too long, maybe only 15, 16 years, to make a change in what they said they believed about doctrine. And when they changed that thing about Scripture being inspired and inerrant in every part, see, they changed that. That's when the four best men at that school left because they knew it was all over. You see? And I remember reading books in the 70s from some professors at Fuller and just shaking my head. Ah, when Paul said in 1 Timothy 2 that he doesn't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Paul was not writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That was published by Paul Jewett. 
And you know what Fuller Seminary did? Nothing. Academic freedom. And then when Jack Rogers wrote a book that basically said the Word of God is not inspired and is not, in, not inerrant in the whole and in the parts. Well, see, now Jack Rogers is spearheading the movement in the uh, Presbyterian Church uh, for gay marriage. Uh, that's not a shock. Because, see, when you don't watch your doctrine closely, all kinds of things happen. I was reading a book last week in Barnes & Noble. Didn't buy the book. Wouldn't pay for it. Just stood there and read it. <laughs> I was there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. <laughs> Wasn't that much to it, so I could read it fast. About a guy who in the 70s was a big-time professor at Fuller. And now his full-time vocation is uh, letting people know that homosexuality is within the ramifications and within the confines of Scripture, and it's perfectly fine. It's just not a problem at all. Watch your doctrine closely. Second Timothy three sixteen. Oh, and by the way, see what happened at Fuller? They used to be all Scripture was inspired. Now they would say most Scripture. Well, you say which Scripture? Well, you know, that's, hmm, hmm. That's a real dilemma. We, we, yeah, you have to use your own conscience, which worries me significantly. What does the Word of God say here? It says all Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God. Actually, literally, it's all Scripture is God-breathed. It's not inhaled, it's exhaled. He breathed it out. So the source of Scripture is God himself. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. A lot of business guys in here. We're in the profit. Got to make a profit. Well, guess what? The Word of God is full of profit. It's profitable for teaching. I need to be taught. For reproof and correction. When I'm difficult at home, you know what I need? I don't need to feel good about myself when I come in here. I need a two-by-four in the chops. Right? Sure I do. And sometimes God is so good and so gracious to me, he doesn't care about my self-esteem. He's trying to get my attention. So there are times when uh, it's profitable for me to be reproved and to be corrected. Because, look at this, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. i got to have the word of God. Okay. That's doctrine. Now let's go back to 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. So he says, Timothy, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligently, be, be diligent, Timothy, now catch this, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Or some translations say, rightly dividing the word of truth. That, what, what that means is, is you cut it straight. The idea is when you're plowing a field, you plow it straight. When you're, when you're making a rock wall, you cut that rock, you cut it straight to fit in that piece. 
So we keep our eyes on Jesus and we keep our eyes on the word of God and we accurately handle the word of truth so that nobody walks out thinking there are many ways to God. Nobody walks out not sure if Jesus rose from the dead. He says, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Now, gangrene, that's something you want to avoid. Now catch this. Among them, among who? These whose talk spreads like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus. There he is again. And Philetus. Men who have gone astray from the truth. Saying that the resurrection has already taken place. Had the resurrection taken place? No. And they upset the faith of son. Dwayne Litvin. Great commentary on this section. Let me read it to you real quick. Uh, Paul tells Timothy... Uh, You're to avoid godless chatter, which only advances ungodliness like gangrene. Such godless chatter contrasts with the word of truth in 2 Timothy 2.15. So you've got godless chatter as opposed to truth. He says the medical image is striking. Participating with those who engage in such profane speculations will only literally give their words a feeding place like gangrene. They must be amputated. Instead, So here's Hymenaeus teaching wrong doctrine. That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy, I have delivered him over to Satan that he may be, not, may be taught not to blaspheme. This is serious stuff. People's lives are on the line. Uh, these two, Philetus and Hymenaeus, had wandered away from the truth regarding the crucial doctrine of the resurrection. Now, this gets good here. Greek philosophers typically viewed the soul as immortal and the body as its temporal prison. So the soul is good, but the body is bad. Okay? The idea of a physical resurrection of the body, both Christ and the Christians, was therefore foreign and difficult for them to grasp. Hence, there was a natural tendency towards heresies which rejected the resurrection of the body. The heresy of Philetus and Hymenaeus probably involved the idea that resurrection was a purely spiritual affair, which occurred at baptism or conversion. But bodily resurrection is a keystone of Christian doctrine, as Paul showed in 1 Corinthians 15. Now catch this. Without it, the entire edifice of the gospel collapses. So you see, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. They're saying the resurrection has occurred. No, it hasn't. You're letting your background, you're letting that Greek stuff influence you. Go to the word of God. What does it say? They weren't concerned how it, what, what it said. You see, they, they just they had a problem with it. Hey, you know what, guys? I read the scripture, I have all kinds of problems. I read the scripture, and quite frankly, some of it, I don't like what it says. But guess what? That doesn't mean I can edit the scripture. You know, if I'm doing a document in Microsoft Word, man, I love that. Because I can highlight and I can delete or I can edit or I can change. You know what I'm saying? We get used to that. You can't do that with this book. But that's what Hymenaeus was doing. He wasn't paying close attention to his doctrine. 
Uh, he didn't like that doctrine. So what do you, oh, that's just, oh, no. no. The resurrection already occurred. No, it hasn't. What do the scriptures say? What you believe, what I believe is important. You, you know what's interesting to me, going back to this Wall Street article? Um, 45% of born-agains do not believe that Satan exists. Well, man, he sure got you conned, doesn't he? Reminds me of what C.S. Lewis said about Satan. He said, quite frankly, he doesn't care if you think he exists or not. If you don't think he exists, he's got you right where he wants you. The article goes on. Wall Street Journal says of the born-agains, 10% believe in reincarnation. Which is interesting, because the Word of God says in Hebrews, it is appointed for a man once to die. And then comes judgment. Unless you're not comfortable with that. (laughs) Because we're open-minded. And you you can go another round. 29% of the uh, born-agains believe it's possible to communicate with the dead. So you watch that jerk on TV that communicates with the dead. Let me tell you something. Saul communed with the dead. And, and, well, anyway. Is this not alarming? It's alarming. Why is it so alarming? You know what this tells me? We got all kinds of churches. We got all kinds of big churches. We got all kinds of mega churches. And they got a lot of people. And they're producing this. Why? Because they're doing everything except teaching the word of God. I think I need this. (sighs) Did you tell me I had 15 minutes, Lou? Yeah, you did tell me that. How much do I have now? Five? Two? Seven? Okay. If you guys recall, when we did our study in the Old Testament, on the Old Testament kings, there was a guy in the Old Testament who was basically the Old Testament equivalent of Hymenaeus. His name was Jeroboam. Uh, real quick, turn with me to uh, 1 Kings chapter 12. Here's what's happening in 1 Kings 12. Uh, the first king was Saul, second king, David, third king, Solomon, and then When Solomon died, his son Rehoboam took the throne. Now, Solomon was the wisest man in history. Now, Jesus is the God-man, but Solomon was the wisest man. Interestingly enough, because Solomon um, got all messed up, did not obey what God wrote through him, that doesn't mean it's not true, it just means he didn't do it. Uh, What he did, he built his kingdom and... You know, he built his palaces and built all this stuff, but he never built his son. So when he died, his son took over, and because he never built his son, the wisest man in the world raised one of the greatest fools in the Old Testament, Rehoboam. Rehoboam destroyed in 72 hours everything it took Solomon and David 80 years to put together with God's help. So in three days, everything was undone, and the nation of Israel split. 
And so the ten tribes of the north, they went with, not, you got to get this straight, Rehoboam was Solomon's son. But there's this other guy named Jeroboam who's a leader. And when they split, the ten tribes of the north go with Jeroboam. Now here's what happens. Where am I? First Corinthians? No, I'm not in First Corinthians. I'm in First Kings. First Kings 12. Give me a second. I'll get there. Now here's what happens in First Kings 12. So now they get now the nation split. It's sort of like us in the Civil War. Okay. It says um, in verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. This would be um, this is going to be the northern part of Israel. Uh, now look at verse 26. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even the Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Let me tell you what he's saying. Uh, the men of Israel had to go to Jerusalem three times a year to make an appearance in worship. Now the nation is split. Uh, so Jerusalem is in the south. And Rehoboam runs the southern kingdom. With the, it's called Judah, with Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. So Rehoboam is up in the north, and now he's king, and he's got these ten tribes. And this has all just happened. He's thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I hadn't thought about this, but if our guys go down to Jerusalem, what's going to happen is they're going to go down there to worship, and Rehoboam's going to be there, and they're going to get to know him and think he's a nice guy. And what's going to happen is they're going to go with Rehoboam, and they're going to not go with me, and I'm not going to be king anymore, and I'm not going to have any more power. Now, did anybody say that to him? No. Jeroboam said in his heart, he thought this. It was a fear. So you know what the guy does? He moves away from sound doctrine. So beginning with verse 28, catch this. So the king consulted and made two golden calves. Now, here's a brilliant move. And he said to them, to the people of the north, it is too much for you. (laughs) It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. I I can just see this. What do you mean it's too much? What are you talking about it's too much? Wherever you are, it takes what, four days to get down there? Not too much. Well, it's a long way, and it's hot. And, you know, there's no air conditioning in your chariot. And, uh, you know, most of them are going to walk. I mean, this is ludicrous. It's too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. That brought us up from the land of Egypt. They didn't bring us up from the land of Egypt. We just about got killed on the way out of Egypt over, over a golden calf, if you know your Bible history. Moses on the mountain, his brother Aaron gets the people. He says, well, they just melted the gold and this calf came out. Not quite. (laughs) So here's what he does. Verse 29. He sets one calf in Bethel. He sets another one in Dan. Now, you got to understand something. If you got a map of Israel, and and Jerusalem's, you'll see Jerusalem. You know, in every map in the back of your Bible, you'll see Jerusalem. He's got the northern section. Now, of the northern section... The northernmost city is Dan, and the southernmost city would be Bethel. So what he says is, hey, instead of going to Jerusalem, hey, you know what we're going to do for you? It's too far down there. So those of you in the north, we're going to set up a calf in in, in Dan. and I mean, guys, you can be there in half a day. And those of you a little closer to Bethel, we'll just set one up for you down there. And, And so that's what he did. 
But God said they're to worship in Jerusalem. Oh, and then uh, verse 30. Now this thing became a sin for the people, for the people went to worship uh, before the one as far as Dan. And he made houses in high places and made priests from among all the people who were not the sons of Levi, who was supposed to be the priest, the sons of Levi. But he didn't care about that because he doesn't care about doctrine. Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. Now, God says you go down for the feast of tabernacle. He says, oh no, I'm going to come up with my own feast. And he went up to the altar, thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves which, which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel and went up to the altar to burn incense. This is, you see this guy? You see what I'm talking about? He just made it up. Like a lot of born-agains are doing today. Pay close attention to your life and to what you believe. So what do you believe about Jesus? And what do you believe about the Word of God? And what do you believe about the resurrection? And what do you believe about the scriptures when they say that hell is eternal? I saw this week, Joel Osteen had 42,000 people at Madison Square Garden this week. I don't know what to think about that. It kind of concerns me. Say, you're going to take a shot at Osteen? Yeah. Yeah. Because when he was on Larry King, Larry asked him straight out. And I got the manuscript right here from CNN. What about Muslims? Well, you know. Now, somewhere in here, I've got his doctrinal statement. And he says, we believe Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for our sins. We believe Jesus rose from the dead and is coming again. We believe that salvation is found only by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Good. Then say that when they ask you about Muslims. Don't say only God can judge. No. God's written in his word. And when they ask you about gay marriage, when you're signing books at Barnes & Noble in Massachusetts, don't say, well, I really don't want to get into that, or words to that effect. And I got that right here, too. Genesis 2.24. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's what God says about marriage. Hey, guys, you know what? Our job is not to make people feel good. Our job is not to make people like us. Our job is to declare the truth. Because Jesus said, if you continue in my word, and listen, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying Osteen isn't a believer. I'm just saying I'm a little concerned because he's 
He's hugely popular right now. But if he doesn't give the word of God, he can't help anybody. If you don't give the word of God, you can't help anybody. If Chuck doesn't give the word of God, if I, we can't help anybody. Because Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. There's a church not too far from where I live. And in July, out in front of the church was a brand new car. They had a big sign, come and visit us in July. We're giving away a new car. They were giving away a new car. And I remember what Jesus said in John 8, 31. If you continue in my Chevrolet. <laughs> Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I'll give you three final bullets. I'll have to edit this, Lou. I've got to get this in. Three final bullets. Number one, the menu of truth is determined by God, not by you. One more time. The menu of truth, which is the Bible, is determined by God, not you. We talked about an in and out. We talked about McDonald's. Remember Burger King? Have it your way. Not when it comes to the word of God. Number two. The menu of truth is never customer-oriented. It doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is what is true. Number three, those who edit the menu of truth by either addition or deletion will be subject to eternal damnation. Revelation chapter 22. And I'd also refer you to Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2 and Proverbs 30 verse 6. But Revelation 22 says in verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Joseph Smith added to the book. I'm sorry? The third bullet, those who edit the menu of truth by addition or deletion will be subject to eternal damnation. So he says... If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy and from the holy city, which are written in this book. So what you believe and what you teach is absolutely critical. Is it not? And those of us who teach, one day we're going to stand before Jesus. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. Because teachers incur a stricter judgment. If you want to please somebody, then please Jesus. Let's pray. We thank you for your word. We bow before you, Lord Jesus. 
and we submit ourselves. We don't understand all of it. There's some things that are mysterious to us, but we know it's your word. Don't let us fall into the trap of Hymenaeus. Don't let us fall into the trap of, uh, of Jeroboam. There's so much pressure, Lord. There's so much pressure at work and around, you know, with people to be liked and to be one of the guys. And, and we want to be winsome and we want to build relationships with people. But when push comes to shove and the truth is on the line, we have got to stand with you and with your word. Give us the courage to do that. Give us the grace to do it. You say that those who honor me, them will I honor. We want to be those men. In Jesus' name, we would make this request. Amen.